Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about horror adventures. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Uh, it's pretty simple. We like to talk about games. Uh, this week, we played both... Wait, did we play... No, no. but we did play Hell's Rebels after uh, our last cast, I guess. Uh, so we played Hell's Rebels. Uh, the, 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 journey, the journey south began... Um, we didn't get through quite everything in order to end up at uh, at the cleric needed to resurrect Tonric, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. How did uh, how did you? The, it was the first. It was the first big beastman uh, encounter. Yeah, um, I, I I had a lot of fun. I thought it was cool. Um, I thought that. Um, I'm sorry if we screwed with your hook, or what was supposed to be maybe a dramatic death, but like you know, which one. I, um, oh, Ariandis. Yeah. Oh, that, that wasn't a dramatic... Well, okay, that was... Okay, that was... Uh, I don't mind giving away this secret okay. because it's in your favor. You did the right thing. Um, Ariandis was the easy way out, but it would have cost... She would have died, right? And right. it would have cost you her um, as, you know, like as a leading NPC in in the uh, in the order uh, in the order of the torrent and everything like that. Um, the correct answer was to do some for you know. There's a there was a lot of different ways that that sure. could have gone down. Um, but I think your you know your plan was uh, pretty good overall, and, uh, and I'm never glad it worked out. <laughs> didn't think I would need to use negate aroma like ever. I just I just took that. <laughs> you know, honestly, like... well, honestly, it's funny because I was sitting there, um, and there's there was a couple ways that, that I thought that might play out. Like I thought you might try and do a stealth thing. Um, like on the map itself to try and turn the Cygor against the Beastmen, which would have been, you know, like you could, you could have gone a lot of different ways with that. Uh, you could have just tried to lure away the Cygor and then fought the Beastmen who would obviously not have been that tough, uh, lure away the Beastmen and just fight the Cygor, right? You know, he's super, he's super wounded, even though, uh, he still probably would have gotten like one or two, like, well, he maybe he probably would have killed like one or two of like the Hell Knights. Um, that's a little bit of why they were there, but, um, uh, you know, uh, your, your plan to get all of them away. I thought it was well thought out. Uh, there was, you know, there was pieces to it that I was like, uh, you know, like expedition retreat only lasting four minutes isn't the greatest thing in the world. But, uh, I just kind of rolled all of those into those odds at the end anyway, uh, because I kind of thought that it would have been, I, I couldn't think of a good way on the fly to systemize that whole thing. Otherwise, besides like the, this this plan is pretty good. I think it has an eighty five percent chance of success. You know, roll it like. Yeah, no, I, I think that was a perfectly fair way to adjudicate it. Um. Yeah, and and you know, honestly, like I like to talk about the uh, like the the kind of golden contract and like, you know, if if you like, my, my first reaction is like, well, you could have rolled that in secret, but then the other part of that is like, if you had. And I had failed. I'm, you know, I might have, like, you know, I, I wouldn't have obviously been like, yeah, fuck you, buddy. But it's like, oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess we were not supposed to succeed at that because that's like the kind of thing where, like, we're like, you know, GM fiat is reasonable and and expected in in a way. Um, and so rolling it out in the open is is satisfying in that way. Yeah, and, and you know, and I also wanted you to take, you know, um, I think about this to a lot of extent uh, because I want like you to take ownership of your role. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't my plan. That was your plan. You, you did, you guys did everything. And I think just kind of like from a, 
like a top-down thematic perspective almost um it's better to uh it's better to have you you roll your stuff um especially you know especially out loud i also didn't mind giving you the odds uh i thought uh, i thought being upfront about that stuff to kind of say you know i i'm the, the there's no part of me here that's going to flub the result one way or the other um yeah was was the right call no i i, I... I find it to be a hard kind of thing to like, because like you know I I ran my Wrath of the Righteous game today and, and we ran into a couple of uh, hin rolls. My my players are, are doing well with it. It's um, I've actually got a thing to talk about about that briefly, but uh, sure. we'll finish this first. Um, but like you know, I think that like rolling perception is something hidden is something you really kind of have to do, um, because like otherwise people know approximately how well they do when it like. In, you know, it's like, well, I missed the thing I was supposed to roll for, or like, um, you know, or like, you know, if they roll high and it just happened to be a high DC, like, you know, sometimes these impressive things, it's like, if they hit like an impossible DC, they notice something, but they'll probably miss it. Um, and like, they, you know, they roll a 30 and you're like, oh, you don't notice anything. They're like, well, what the fuck? Um, but then you go to kind of run into this issue. Um, it worked, it worked out well. Um, I think in that, like, so... One of my players has an ability to re-roll a perception check if he fails. Um, or, or, like, to re... Ooh, maybe interesting. Not, like, he gets... Or it's not if he fails. It's if he can re-roll the, the perception check after the result is revealed, but before... Or, like, like after the roll is made, but before the result is revealed. Mm. So, you know, it's meant for a situation where you, like, roll a five, right? Um, and he, he kind of very shorthanded. He's like, if it's below a five, just re-roll it. Um... Whereas I think the, the kind of way I took it is that like if he rolls below a five or so, I tell him that he rolled poorly and he can re-roll if he wants to. Um, but that also kind of like does like misses the misses kind of the objective of, of the hidden rolls, which is to keep that uh, kind of meta gaming from players. Uh, how do you, how do you feel about how, how would you deal with that situation? Okay, so for instance, uh, I, so on the. Uh on the subject of hidden rolls, I never expected hidden rolls to be at. They have really changed the way that I play the that I like GM and I I do stuff uh, behind the screen. I didn't think it would make that much of a difference. I thought it was just going to be a little bit of difference um, because you know th there are definitely people among our group that are a little bit crunchier, and I wanted to just kind of remove that aspect to get to get to. To pull, I wanted to pull them out of the system a bit uh, in, for, for these kinds of um, uh, for these kinds of looking at stuff uh, situations. I you know, the, the investigation that you guys did is a good example of that, and I want to come back to that actually. But um, I when I wrote out this macro that I have that rolls all of your guys' perception checks in a whisper to myself. Um, the first part of that macro is shows up for you guys, right? It's, yeah. you know, it's like slash M the party, like looks around kind of thing. And I don't know. I almost want to get rid of that, um, uh, at this point because it's made such a big difference. Um, because there's a lot of times when I want to roll like passive perception checks for you guys, right? Where like, you haven't told me that you want to, you know, that, that you want to make a perception 
check here. Um, but you probably, but like you probably should, and this is something that you might just kind of notice offhand anyway. And so um, sometimes I feel, uh, sometimes I feel like I don't want, I don't even want to let you know uh, that I'm that I am like rolling on your behalf completely out of you know completely out of nowhere. I I, I feel like you can. Uh... I feel like you, you kind of want two macros for that one with the header and one without. For yeah, like, maybe, yeah. One for when we're like, please roll, and one for when we're like, and one for when you're like, ah, oh, this this is a thing that you should do. Um, and you've kind of got this, adv- like, um, at, at a physical table, one of the things yeah. is that when I want to do that, like, sometimes I have I try and throw in, like, ghost rolls, right? Like, I go over to my little uh, hidden corner and roll a couple of dice that mean nothing, but, like, you know, just to keep, like, just so that, like, um, you know, nothing always means like, like if I always go over when it means something and I roll the dice, that means that like that, that's a signal in itself. Kind of like you're saying with this header, um, almost exactly like that actually. Um, whereas you've got kind of this advantage that we won't know about these passive checks, um, when they happen. Um, obviously we will probably, if we succeed any of them, we will know about their existence, but like kind of the, uh, it's kind of like, um, you, you could make as many of them as you wanted to, and and we, we, we wouldn't know the frequency, which is, I think, a, a powerful tool in a lot of ways. Um, although I sometimes I find, like, I find that kind of stuff sometimes a little bit hard to do, too. It's like, well, like, if they don't hit this, they miss, like, some bonus area in some way. Like, there's a pretty major part in Rune Lords as written where, like, you just don't get, like, a section of content and like a major boss um if you don't detect a hidden door and it's like yeah is, is I, the right yeah, decision totally to really that. hide that like um yeah i mean I, there's definitely times when i don't uh, there's definitely times when i do hide that um uh it, 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 it like it always kind of depends on like the context right like for instance you know in the big dungeon uh that you guys did very recently you had a pretty good rate of catching all of like the little objectives but you know there's a little bit of loot that you left behind um because you know right like you just didn't hit you know you didn't hit the perception check or right. whatever right and i think that in that kind of situation when it's that kind of minor right that's not a big deal um but uh i tend to uh see what i do in situations like that is i have like a fail safe um this is this is kind of what happened you guys failed the perception check to notice that the statue in the back of the thing was the staircase down right you could have just kind of skipped the back half of the top of the dungeon um if you would hit that perception check and then hit a couple of other checks to figure out the puzzle um uh but if you went and cleared the rest of the building you get to his journal or whatever that explains the whole thing as just kind of a failsafe to be like, you know, oh, right, there's, you know, like, there's more to this. And I think that that's probably the best, you know, the best that you can do um, in a situation like that um, is kind of offer it as a shortcut. But, you know, if not, you might have to spend more time or resources fighting through other shit in order to figure it out. Yeah. I think I think there's also like a lot like you know I think cutting off like sections of content is hard unless you've got like so like I think there are games where like you plan enough like kind of like generalized content that like if they don't do everything it's not a huge deal but in like adventure mm-hmm. especially adventure path type things I think that like these kind of hidden roles are better for things like like you know either like you said like this temporary advantage where we get to skip the back half of the dungeon or um we get to roll um. Or, or like, uh, what was the other thing? Or like, you know, 
if we notice the ambush getting set up, right? Like, we're at a disadvantage in combat, and I think that's fine, because that's, like, something that ultimately is, like, a thing that's that, that causes a problem for, like, the next couple rounds of combat, but not, um, doesn't, like, affect, like, our progression majorly in any way. And I, I think that's kind of, like, the stronger use of, of completely hidden rolls. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I also think uh, hidden rolls on sense motive, uh, hidden rolls on... Um uh, hidden rolls on what? What the fuck is that one? Um, Bluff. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Sorry. Hidden rolls on. Um, well, stealth? maybe bluff. Bluff would be stealth is the other one. Hidden rolls on st- sense motive and hidden rolls on stealth have also gotten a lot of mileage. I wouldn't have been able to do that Morgar Manthai session unless that uh, unless I had control or unless I you know screened your uh, your sense motive checks and it also allowed me to do the fun things right where like. You set, you know, this is the one where I set a number, right? And the three people that passed and the three people that failed all got different reads on what happened. So, like, there's conflict about, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And you have to kind of second guess and, you know, you might, and and I actually, you know, I I did a little bit of fudging here in order to make stuff, like, work out because, you know, obviously it is more likely that the person who has ranks and sense motive is going to pass every time kind of thing. Um, but I definitely wanted to. I, I, I wanted to keep. Uh, I wanted to keep you guys on your toes. Uh, no, just I, a little bit. And I think I think that was very well done. Um, something that I have tried, like I do it inconsistently because I forget. Um, but something that I try and do, I've been experimenting with, is uh, rolling a d4 along with the sense motive check. And like, if you fail a sense motive check, like the side of the d4, like like one side is like gets the wrong impression. One side is, like, gets the right impression for the wrong reason. One side is can't read. And, like, maybe the other side is something, like, you know, happens to get the right impression, like, like just by, by random chance or something. I feel like the, I feel like that fourth option is the weakest one because it, like, kind of, like, gives you a, quote, like a 25% chance to succeed if you fail, mm-hmm. which might be a little bit too powerful. But I kind of I, – I, I think sense motive is – which is, like, you get the – like when you get the opposite answer when you fail, um, obviously it's less less of a problem in a closed role system, but when you get the opposite answer when you fail, it's kind of can be just as informative as like you get the right answer when you when you succeed type of deal. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I am uh, I am with you. I am with you. Yeah, uh, especially especially in fucking open roles because you get these like stupid situations where like the creature with like a negative one bluff just tries it anyway and then you roll a shitty sense motive um and so you get the opposite like you, you know you get the right result back but because you've rolled so poorly you think that you've gotten the wrong result and so you've been bluffed by like you've been in actuality bluffed by the creature with right the bad yeah. Bluff <laughs> yeah i uh yep i totally get that i totally get that um, I wanted to ask you about how did you like the uh, uh, that investigation mini game at the top of the session I thought that was uh, I thought that was cool um I thought that like you, you you put like an appropriate amount of kind of like tension in like the should we stay or should we go type thing um I th- um I think that the format was cool I think that the only thing that I'm not gonna say bothered me but the only thing that kind of is like like if you've got a character who's a skill monkey like it it kind of discourages kind of like having a party skill monkey and having everybody else doing like whatever the fuck else they want so i think maybe kind of like introducing that system before the campaign starts kind of helps shape the party in the right way if that makes Mm. sense 
Yeah, I think I, um, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I it's don't one think of those it's bad, but yeah, it's one of those things I think where um, I like. Uh, well, so the thing I the thing I think about um, the skill monkey aspect of it is that the skill monkey is obviously the most flexible person, right? When you're in that thing where it's like, okay, we have to assign the party by efficiency. Or whatever, right? Sometimes, like, I think that's a part of kind of the... That's a part of kind of doing it quickly, right? Where, um, uh, you know, you had to kind of say, well, what is the best allocation of Beauregard who has the best knowledge? You know, who, who, who... He's the guy that can hit these skills the best, right? So we need to figure out where he's going to do, you know, where he's going to be doing the most kind of work. Um, uh, which I thought was... Uh, I don't know. It's what it's funny. I just kind of created that system on the fly. And to be honest, I, I, you know, I thought that this session might run long because there, you know, the, there was this possibility of two combats back to back, um, with the, uh, with the beastmen and like the boiling blood could get, you know, if you guys walk into that second encounter, flub it a little bit, have the hard fight and you're carrying a bunch of stacks of boiling blood. Like that's a, that's a dangerous situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of if like everything had gone, uh, wrong, or even just a little bit had gone wrong, right? Uh, you know, uh, where people don't figure out boiling blood fast enough, or they're just not, you know, getting kind of their their saves or whatever. Um, uh, and uh, but you know, I I've, I was like I was like literally driving home on that Wednesday, and I was just kind of like, you know, I think I want to have a. I wanted to add the Beastman dossier. I wanted you guys to get this this explanation of what, like, the, you know, of these. This is what the Waywatchers know about the Beastman um, somehow, and I thought that that investigation was probably the right way to do it. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, like, like I said, I, I think it's 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 really cool. I think it's fine in practice. I think it, um, like, like I said, I think, I think, like, our party isn't isn't here, which is good. But, like, I think there's a world in which somebody went, oh, Beauregard's a skill monkey. Beauregard gets all the skills. Everybody else just put your points in, like, perception and, like, mm -hmm. you know, nothing else. Um, and that, yeah, definitely. And that could have caused a problem here um, if, like, that is how we happen. Like, and, you know, that, that's kind of like a gamist thing, but that's also, like, I don't know if I blame the players too much for playing to that if they have, like... Like, especially when the character is, as, 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 say, extreme as Beauregard is, which is, like, skills and only skills. Um, but I think, I, I, I do think, I, I think it's a good system, I think. Um, and I think it works for our party, and I think it would work for a party that knew that that was how this, that these things popped up uh, before the campaign started. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever see, like, we'll see it again in this instance. I, I could foresee a situation where, like, you know, you guys have a limited window, right? Like, you snuck into a crime scene before the Dotari could get there kind of thing. Um, and, I, you know, I could see something like this play out again in the future. I think you really have to have... See, the, the thing is, if you have infinite time, then it is a skill monkey thing, right? That's why hypothetically, that's why, you know, everybody takes 20, right? The skill monkey goes around, he takes 20 on everything uh, piece to piece to piece that but that process takes eight hours um uh and so you know you kind of have to have a time limit there in order to force the party to compartmentalize in the right way if that makes sense i don't know i have it, you know this isn't a system like um you know those table reads that we've talked about um have really clicked for me and i know that i'm going to be reintegrating them uh uh not a lot but uh 
definitely in the future in the future uh, this is a system maybe it'll pop up again in the you know in the super right circumstance for it um i uh yeah i don't know um but yeah it, so what so can you can you just what specifically happened at your rune lord or not at your rune lord's game your oh, rat game so so this this is this is unrelated i just just popped into my head um it's unrelated to the skill checks thing but this is this is i think it's interesting so um we so the, the the party is is in a is in this uh kind of overtaken temple and there's there's a cathedral to the god that most of them worship inside of it and they go inside and they see what appears to be an image of or like a a, a person that is the image of their god and six crusaders worshiping her um and in you know this sets off alarm bells immediately because it's incredibly unlikely but like. The, it, it's a succubus, and the paladin falls for it, and the paladin walks up and like very you know kind of like in good RP style he he like he's like he walks up he like the succubus says accept my gift, and the paladin says I will accept her gift, and he goes up and she does the 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 embrace thing, and she gets the suggestion off and he fails to save, um and then we move into what is essentially combat with one of the players turned against the other players. Um, and the thing that, that happened um, was that uh, the paladin was kind of doing everything in his power to to hedge against um, actually hurting his party. Um, and in some ways it made sense, right? Like when he was like, you know, these are my friends. I'm going to ask them to surrender before I hit them. And when I do, and like, you know, on the first round of combat, before I get the chance to ask them to surrender, I'm going to try and hit them with the flat of my blade to do non-lethal damage. Um that's all kind of like creative enough to me to make sense, but it's also kind of like you could really tell he was doing everything in his power to not fight the party, and I, I don't know the right way to the right Man, way to deal with that. I totally get what you're getting at, though. I totally feel that. See, the thing is, is that, um, and it's funny because that actually kind of sort of came up in Rune Lords, where Enoch very much played the part. Uh, I think um, when he was like running away from the party, kind of thing. Um, I have definitely, you know, it's, man, man, I have definitely cheesed that in my, in my past. I've never really been co like confronted about it in this context. <sighs> I really don't have a good answer for you. Yeah. Part yeah. of me wants, part of me wants to say that when that happens, like the, D the GM just takes control. Um, and that like kind of like absolves all responsibility from the player. Like you can just be like. Like you can have the players still roll the things that way. You don't have to deal with the actual mechanics of it. Right, right. Yeah. But like the GM says, like, well, you you full. But in some ways, that also feels bad. Especially like, especially like this was also like a very kind of middle ground thing, right? Like it wasn't a dominate. It was a suggestion, and mm -hmm. it was a suggestion that he repeatedly failed the will save on. Um, and it wasn't. It was like, it was enough that like you know you could have the argument, like, why would he be hitting his friends? And, like, the answer is justifiably, like, well, the person that he believes is his god is giving him an order to do so and is telling him that they are evil. Like, it's, I, I think it's just a very tough situation to deal with. I wanted You know, I, I, I can see, I, I might, you know, I feel like if I was in this situation, I would just, like, hardline nope them, right? Like, I would just kind of say, listen, right, like, you are too fucked up right to to uh uh to to make that action choose again kind of thing right um yeah I, I did a little bit of that like he'd be like i i talk for a little while he's like that's my full round i'm like nope talking's a free action go do something 
that's funny <laughs> yeah well that you know that is kind of interesting i i've definitely seen that i've also seen the opposite by the way where uh, a player gets a suggestion like that and is brutal to the party <laughs> right? like absolutely fucking merciless where like you know the two-handed fighter immediately makes the beeline for the caster and just like wrecks their shit and you're just kind of like oh god please right like fucking don't don't kill him don't kill him like like, yeah um, oh absolutely there's also like this there was one character that he did make a full attack against and it kind of felt like it was that was more because he was okay with attacking the player rather oh boy Oh my god, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, in, in both instances, I just figured it out. Um, yeah. yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely feel that. I've definitely seen this kind of thing go uh, go a little bit off the rails. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I like it's a cool thing to play with. Like I have I had a point in in the pa- in the long past where like um I've done this twice where one person kind of got like body swapped with a vampire. It was a different system where it could do that. Um, mm-hmm. And the player played along with it perfectly, um, and it, it worked out. Um, the player was, I guess, it was it was funny because it was like he it was like just this bro that like I was hanging out with, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll play some Dungeons and Dragons." And I'm like, "Yo, so sorry, but you got body stuff." He's like, "Yo, bro, I got this," and he plays the part perfectly. And then there was another time where um, the the character was like the secret villain the whole time, um, mm-hmm. and like. <laughs> For those of you that are our friends and know him, our friend Rohan was just so deadpan that no one suspected it, and it was it was perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah, uh, tip to uh, our friends out there: Rohan's actually a great D and D player. Um, he really gets into his characters. Uh, he wants to play stupid characters, but he gets really into them. Uh, uh, you know, I've definitely played. I've definitely seen this kind of thing uh, come down the pike. Uh, in my in my time and uh, uh, I think that it you know it, it is definitely like one of those like it can go off the rails it can get rough but it's also one of those things that can really like spice up uh, a session you know like and and make it kind of shine in a way yeah. that it otherwise wouldn't which I which you know I, I really really appreciate that uh, in the right in the right kind of circumstances and situations yeah um, but yeah th- th- this this session was was pretty good. Um, I've got a, like, it was, it was really funny cause like he was like, uh, so the, what, 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 uh, what the, what the paladin was clearly trying to do is like, he, he told everybody to surrender and he was like, well, if they all surrender and the second, you know, this, this person who the, the player knows is, is, is evil tells us to attack them. That's very clearly going to break it. Cause I know, you know, I'm going to know that this is wrong and I'm like, and you know, that's fair. Um, but like no one wants to do that except for the one character who's just like, yep, I surrender. It's like I, I I put down I put down my crossbow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Fair uh, yeah. Enough. It, uh, yeah it, it worked. It worked perfectly. It was it was funny because um it was, um I had uh, I had one of my my players who's coming back after a long absence. He was taking over for a player that um had to leave us permanently. Um, and so he he just played that he's playing his character for the session for continuity's sake. And I was I was thinking to myself it'd be really funny because that that player uh, Zhao who was uh, who has been on the podcast before friend of the cast yeah he's he's kind of a wild card and I kind of I was like if this happened and Zhao was here Zhao would just pick up the crossbow and start plunking his own team because you know that was what it would get him out alive and uh, you know I was 
happy that didn't happen. But I, uh, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was interesting to see another person play the same character because they play them so differently. It, the same way that happened with, um, for those of you who watched the stream for a long time, seeing Enoch pick up. Uh, Barry's, Barry's Carrie's character, character and yeah. Iron God. So those, you know, mechanically similar characters that are played just completely differently, or mechanically identical, like the the, the identical same characters played so differently. Right, right. Um, uh, but that's a, I, I think that that's a neat thing. Um, I don't think it's like sustainable for a long campaign, but I think it'd be cool to like do like a like almost kind of like a. Like if you if you know the uh, the episode of Community with like the D six where like like you know the the alternate universe the, the alternate timelines um like almost like you play the same session the, the same game over and over again but every person gets a different character um, right you hear stories like this from GMs at, at at Gen Con because they play they run the same sessions but with totally different groups of people and you get different uh different interpretations of the character I think that's actually really cool kind of study of these different scenarios. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I honestly, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I honestly feel that way sometimes about my own characters because uh, you know, like sometimes I'll just like walk, you know, like sometimes I'll walk into a character just like on a bad day or whatever, and I will just be like, and you know, in world, right? Nothing has changed, right? Like we have we five minutes have gone by, right? But like out of world, it's been like three weeks, and I'm in a completely different mindset and mood, and my like opinions and my you know my, all of that stuff has just been like 180, and I will play my own character uh, extremely differently. Um, I think uh, you know I think uh, this kind of the magic a little bit. I you know I I try and put. Um, I try and put character arcs into my own characters. Like I like to figure out what they are like, quote unquote about and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and then work that character arc as, as it, you know, as it comes, right? Uh, the best example of this is Kambe from my Endless Winter game in college, right? Kambe started out, um, as a fairly one-to-one, -one, uh, kind of Japanese XP of Tonric, like the, you know, this character that I've like role played in World of Warcraft and just like for years and years. And Tonric's whole thing is about being, you know, like I, I just like him because I think lawful neutral is a really interesting alignment to kind of examine. But Kabe started off that way. And then as the, as the dynamic of the game shifted, his whole thing became about like the unbreakable willpower of mortal men in the face of, right you know ultimate ultimate power and control and evil from like literal gods right you know his whole he carved into uh uh you know he wielded he wielded an artifact weapon of uh of like the big bad god that we were trying to save or, or we that we were trying to kill we did, we spent the first half of the campaign not knowing that and that's where he picked up the weapon kind of thing and so uh and so i was using this weapon and i didn't know that you know it was it was the you know it was like the bad guys thing or whatever um but the weapon gave him endure elements and so kambe went up to a mountaintop got completely naked and then carved into his chest it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living god when he found out and then he kept and he actually kept the artifact uh but stopped using it until he could melt it down and reforge it into something different um 
and she, you know, and so I, I, I am, I am, I am always interested in that kind of, uh, of aspect of like ending the campaign with my character in a much different spot than when I huh. when I started with them. See, I, 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 I kind of get that. Like, I, I, I kind of like letting my characters develop organically, and sometimes that means that they don't. Like, I don't think Wooden Wanderer has developed in a way that I kind of can be like 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 he, he just hasn't changed that much i think he like you know you could point to little things like he trusts his party members a bit more but like that's not like a real character change um um but i i, I that, that's interesting like planned character arcs just seem kind of weird to me because like what if the story just doesn't happen to support it but i i, I get that I, I i think that's a good way to you know i mean i i definitely i definitely uh I definitely feel that way. I think a lot of this is push pull with the GM too, right? Yeah. Obviously, Mark responded. I, you know, I think when you give the GM big obvious stuff like this, uh, it's easy for them to kind of like work with you, even if it's not an explicit thing, right? When I go up to a mountain cop and and carve a like, you know, like a, an epitaph or uh, you know, whatever into my own into my own chest, that's a pretty big signal to Mark. You know, hey. Kambe's whole thing right now is about uh, escaping the clutches of this god and then fucking him up for deceiving him, right, with the with the artifact kind of thing. Um, and you know, and to a certain extent, I you know, and to a certain extent, I do that in Hell's Rebels. I you know, I do that in Hell's Rebels to people that don't even necessarily have a character arc, and maybe that's a little bit mean, right? Um, but you know, this is this is um, this is something that happened with Alaric, right, where Alaric started the game. Uh, in with a totally different mindset and goal, and now he's carrying the Dreamweaver, and so his whole character arc is kind of like directed in that you know in he 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 has a direction now that he wouldn't have otherwise had if I hadn't have basically explicitly given him one, um, and uh, you know I, I, I don't know I, it, it's the way you know to me a good story is about character arcs and it's about characters go you know coming in as one person coming out a different person right um and uh so yeah i don't know yeah no i I think that the trends through in 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 kenzo too right like kenzo has gone through a fairly serious character arc arc from like my my you know my waifu is is gone and now he's got like a real wife and like uh, a miscarried kid and like that like a whole set of yeah. new responsibilities that, that, that's pretty cool um yeah so- uh that that yeah that i mean that's the same thing right that marriage thing with mark that i you know i made that plot point for myself uh where you know like where i committed hardcore uh, I committed hardcore to this marriage and I, and I, you know, ex- super explicitly let this, you know, this thing that had dictated the first two books, right? My relationship with Jessa, I let that go and I let Kenzo move on to, you know, to be with this new, uh, you know, this new wife. Cause otherwise I think, you know, first of all, otherwise I think you can get into sitcom antics with that kind of thing, right? With, uh, you know, like, oh, these two people are, you know, now they're engaged because of a technicality, right? But I was just like, nope, nope. I, you know, yes, this is real. Like, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, Something I should t- touch on very briefly before we move on to the main content. I think I want to maybe at some point do like a full cast on like, character tips but uh, i don't know why this popped into my head but i don't know you told me like um it's probably a dozen podcasts ago at this point 
mm-hmm. that the way you played Kenzo was uh, – what was like you, you kind of made him awkward on like you, you you responded kind of awkwardly to some things on purpose um to, to kind of flesh out that character um and i think that that was uh just kind of meditating on that for a while um i realized like you know i didn't realize that that was the case um for a, for a while until actually you told me i just thought like for whatever reason in the moment you weren't thinking as fast as you normally did or maybe you were distracted right, or right, something yeah. um and so um, you know, just kind of like, um, you know, the, the, the kind of value of kind of like separating out your character with like some, some kind of like, take like the, the one I do, which is obvious is I use an accent as, as bad as they are, but it makes it very clear when you're in character and out of character. Right. And I, I think, I think we could do probably a whole, a whole cast on, on, uh, on that kind of thing. Yeah, well, you know, honestly, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the, the reason I did that with Kenzo is because I dumped charisma, uh, which right. is something I very rarely do in characters. A lot of my characters, um, I I have fairly charismatic characters. I like being the face of the party. Uh, and so Kenzo is a big departure from that. And so I wanted to – I needed to figure out some way that A, would let me talk a lot, and B, would also make sense for the fact that Kenzo has relatively low charisma. And the obvious answer – or not maybe not so obvious answer, but the answer that I came upon was just to make him like a neurotic – you know, like Woody Allen. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. No, it, it's just one of those things where like, you've also got this kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I have known several players in my time where like they play charismatic, like they play characters with a high charisma stat, but like they're super awkward nerds. And like, they want to play that fantasy without having to give like a full speech or whatever. Oh um, yeah. I totally get that. Um, and it can, and it can be hard to tell when like it's a play, when it's the player or the character, mm-hmm. if you don't have those kind of, like, even if you do have those signals, right? Like if I'm doing my Beauregard accent and you know, I stumble and I go, um, and ah, uh, Beauregard doesn't do that. Cause Beauregard's a suave motherfucker, but, right. but I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's kind of, oh man, it, it's one of those kind of like, uh, departures between like. Uh, you know the 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 characters that you want to be, which is kind of why you play the game, and the uh, the reality of who you are. Yeah, um. yeah, I definitely. I, it comes across in other ways too. I think people very rarely role play a stupid character as stupidly as they otherwise uh, should be. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Actually, I, I'm not quite following you. Um. You know, I've definitely had. Um. I've definitely had stupid uh i've definitely had stupid characters before um you know i don't know i've definitely had stupid characters before but i'm a relatively intelligent guy and so like you know maybe i'll put together something uh that otherwise um um Oh. I, 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 I'll, I'll 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 connect some dots in my head um and and th- but I don't think my character would have necessarily, um, and I think that's something that a lot of people have flubbed before because yeah. it's also kind of a dump stat. Yeah, yeah, no, I I see what you mean. Like I've definitely played like, um, I think several times when we were playing your four year game and I was playing Log, who speaks with trees, like you know we'd be like sitting around the t- we'd be sitting around planning the next turn and I'd be like in my voice. You know, doing like, and then we should do this and this and this and this is the perfect right, battle right, plan. Yeah. <laughs> and Log would be like, Log smash. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I, you know, I totally get that. Uh, but we've spent enough time yeah, yeah, no, uh, talking about this. So let's get started on horror adventures. Uh, time out real quick. I need to, I need to check something. And we're back. So oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we, we both were like, <laughs> we were both waiting for the other one to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yep. So uh, we're yep. back. I think we'll leave that in because that's, that's just too funny to fucking... <laughs> <laughs> No cuts. Um, though actually, Cut, lots of yeah. cuts. Um, <laughs> um, Horror Adventures uh, just came out. It's the new hardback for Pathfinder. Uh, and in our grand tradition of talking about hardbacks when they come out, um, we wanted to address horror adventures. Um, I have to say, uh, from like an initial like the, here, here's where I started on horror adventures. I don't really agree or like. The sentiment that, like, D&D um, or, like, role-playing games are naturally, like, kind of horrific. I've seen a lot of people who, you know, are very into horror because, you know, and they're, and they're DMs and they're trying to inject horror elements um, and all these things. And, um, and I kind of have a fundamental belief that that's just really, you know, at the end of the day, not the case when it comes to most, you know, most RPG systems. Um... And so I thought, well, horror adventures, right? How good can horror adventures be, right? The premise for it is so off and wrong, um, effectively, that, like, you know, unless you're willing to really upend a lot of systems in order to, um, you, you know, if you're, if you're willing to kind of gut aspects of Pathfinder, I think that you can get there, um, but I don't know how willing uh, Paizo was to kind of indulge in that. Um, I was wrong to a certain extent. Uh, Paizo has sold me on their aspect of how horror works to a certain extent. And I do have some problems with this. And I'll kind of talk in general about what I mean uh, about horror not working. Um, and they and they honestly, to, you know, to their own credit, they address this kind of thing. Um but uh, uh, they they've tackled they've tackled the problem from a direction that I didn't quite anticipate, um, which I think is uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, so my overall recommendation is that horror adventures is not a you know it's not a it's not a buy right. I don't I wouldn't recommend that anybody just kind of like go out you know, go out of their way to go grab horror adventures in the same way I might recommend that, you know, someone go out. I, I think every game is better for, for ultimate intrigue. I think every GM having read that book is going to get, is going to get, you know, good mileage out of their game for that. I don't think that's true for horror adventures, but, um, uh, I think it is definitely better, uh, than, than, uh, what I was afraid it would be. Yeah. I think I definitely agree with that. I think, if you are looking to run a horror game in, in the Pathfinder system, I think you do definitely want to read this book. It's got a lot of good advice in it and a lot of good systems to support that. But if you don't ever plan on doing that, um, I wouldn't say you necessarily have to give it a skip because I think some of the systems in here are pretty cool and some of the archetypes are neat. Um, but you don't like, I, you know, like that material is like, it's more than a splat book, but like, the, the the things that are impressive in this book are not necessary for most games. If that makes sense. The things that are impressive for this book are not necessary for most games. That's an interesting... Well, I mean, like, like the things that are... The, the things that I think that Paizo did really well in this book 
aren't going to show up in every game. And they aren't going to show up in, non- in non-horror games for, the, for like, the most part. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, if you don't plan on running that, I don't think you need this. Like, I think they did some, like, they always do decent work with, like, the archetypes and the feats and whatnot. But those are not, right. it's not like, you know, you know, it, it's not like, you know, like, I love, say, like, the the Magus. I think the Magus is one of the greatest classes um, that Paizo put out because it really, really hits the, the battle mage fantasy really well. And I think that you could go and buy, what is that, Ultimate Magic for... Magus alone. I don't think any of the archetypes in here, like, I think there's some really cool archetypes, but I don't think you need to go out and buy this book just for the archetypes, is what Fair I'm saying. Fair enough. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, I get... Wow. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think I get what you mean. Uh, I think some of these archetypes are cool. You know, it's funny because uh, I definitely don't think... Uh, I mean, you know, there is some horror to, to, to Hell's Rebels, definitely. Um... You know, the beastmen are expressly built to be, you know, kind of some body horror, like grotesque. You know, they, they you know, they, there is something grotesque, right, about about you know contracting this disease and it warping you into just right. You know, I I pulled this from Warhammer, right? Obviously, obviously, there's going to be some. Uh, 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 there's going to be some like horrorness to that, um, but to you know to its credit, uh, horror adventures is going to be making uh, at least some of the rules in here are going to be making appearances um, in Hell's Rebels because they definitely do fit certain aspects of what uh, what I am looking to accomplish um, and I want and what I want to kind of like see. Um, so you know that you know they're they're kind of uh, they're kind of is that okay. I think that's fair. Um, at the same time, uh, uh, I think some of these archetypes... I th- this is one of those first times that I've really looked at a lot of archetypes as explicitly PC archetypes and explicitly NPC archetypes. Yeah. Um, I think it would be... I mean, they kind of denotate this because a lot of archetypes require an evil alignment, which I think is pretty interesting. And I would definitely... I think it would be awesome to play a serial killer, right? Like, I think that you could make that work, uh, jumping ahead to the vigilante archetype serial killer. Um, but um, I like I think you could make that work in the right kind of game, right? Uh, 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 Hell's Rebels could support that, right? Yeah. Um, in, if you had kind of, like, the right players, if you had the right party. Um, but... Uh, I also think that there's just you know there's some stuff in here that I read that I'm like, wow, that's for MP. Yeah, you know, this is this is a boss, right? That's what they're trying to. That's what they're trying to get you. Um, so I'll just start this uh, where I you know this. So this is how I think about horror in games in Pathfinder, right? Um, this specifically apply. I, I came to this conclusion when I when I first started trying to understand cosmic horror. Um, cosmic horror is something that I have never seen people ride the dick of, uh, the way that I've seen people ride the dick of like something except for in like these, these RPG sessions. So many people who play D and D, uh, who love D and D, who love Pathfinder, who love RPGs in general are huge, huge fans of like Cthulhu stuff and like cosmic horror stuff. And it's, it's always been mind boggling to me. Um, and so, uh, in my travels to try and understand why that's the case and try and get that, um, I, uh, uh, I kind of came upon the realization that at the end of the day, um, 
a lot of these, uh, you know, cosmic horror is very much about powerlessness, right? It's about like Cthulhu being just that much more like powerful and terrifying than you can can possibly imagine um and that seems so counter to me to what pathfinder is about because right pathfinder is about defeating you know it is there's nothing that you can't overcome with enough time experience gear right you can prepare yourself for any threat you can kill gods you can you know what i mean like and so those two things just seem so unendingly like uh, like opposed to one another that i never quite understood how simultaneously DD is like this ultimate power fantasy thing right but people love the cosmic horror stuff and they want to inject cosmic horror into their D&D games as often as possible. Um, and that, and I think that also goes out, you know, in D&D, a slasher kind of thing doesn't quite work the way that it does in a slasher movie, right? People make mistakes in a slasher movie, right? Like, that's that's what happens. The slasher comes in and, and he punishes you for your, for your mistakes and he just, like, murders your dick off, right? Um, I think that there is, um, you know... I think that there's definitely uh, some overlap with with certain aspects, right? Like, I think the kind of, you know, the Warhammer horror of, like, this is just, like, an extremely brutal and shitty world, right? Or maybe, like, the gothic like gothic horror stuff definitely feels right up D&D's alley to me. Um, but there's something about the, the ability to face down Dracula, right, that kind of removes, I think, the, the central tenet, right? Because horror is so much about avoiding you know avoiding this danger and this threat this thing is going to kill you and it is that dangerous and if you could you know if you could hold fast and power attack dracula to death it kind of undermines that um a little bit so i don't know i don't know um what do you think how do you know i definitely that? agree with you um in fact they've got a, a, a whole piece in this book about how um pathfinders a game about heroism and horror stories typically aren't um, I'm kind of of the opinion that especially with Cosmic Horror, because Cosmic Horror is like a real kind of like hopelessness and like creeping terror kind of thing that you really need a different system. Like I don't even like I like this book um, for for horror stuff, but I just don't think you can do Cosmic Horror right in this system um, just properly. I, I think you really need kind of like like Cosmic Horror to me is always is like even if you're trying your hardest, you're hitting you're heading headlong into a battle that you know you're going to lose type of deal it's just a matter of when um yeah fair enough um and i i think that like like that runs very counter to the pathfinder system um i think that you can't i think like body horror has its place i think kind of like the the kind of like horrors of war type stories can have their place and i think you can have serious storylines in pathfinder that aren't all noble and bright um mm -hmm. and so i think that it's you're probably better off trying to stick to stick to kind of the ones that you pointed out uh, for Pat. Like I, I just like there are stats for Cthulhu. You know, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like there are stats for Cthulhu is like a is is like an oxymoron. Like you know, that, it's not a statement you should say. <laughs> That is kind of funny right, well, uh, that they're, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. In, yep. in, in, I think the, the Cthulhu games, like, every time, like, you know, there's usually sections that's like, what if the adventurers run into Cthulhu? The answer is usually they lose, like, unambiguously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of. I, you know, I, I want to hit on something that you talked about because, uh, you know, so I, 
to a certain extent, I'm setting myself up to disagree with myself. Uh, like I said, you know, the uh, uh, the guys at Paizo sold me on aspect on like aspects of this, um, and so. Um, Something that I wholeheartedly believe is that you can take aspects of this and inject them into subplots and, like, storylines in your game, right? Um, that will work out... Uh, that, that, that will work out very good, right? Like, I think, I think following a... You know, if you wanted to rewrite kind of the aspect of uh, uh, Rise of the Rune Lords with Alder and Foxglove so that that plays out like a slasher uh, story... I think you 1,000% can do that and you would get a ton of mileage out of it, right? And I don't think that you could really extend that into the longest of the long runs, right? But I think for half, you know, back-ending it at half of a book, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and I think that... Um, I think that you can do that with a lot of things, right? Uh, the one, I definitely do agree. I definitely think that Cosmic Core is effectively impossible. The one thing I think you could make, I think you, the one place I think you can make Cosmic Horror work is like a, a vignette kind of story or maybe a one shot. Yeah. Uh, where, um, so, okay, this is, this will kind of ruin it. But I think if you were to, if you were to play the game almost entirely straight, Right. And you're, you know, like, oh, and you're like trying to figure out this, you know, like, oh, this like cult Cthulhu thing. But like, you know, and, and then and you just kind of end it with the characters all dying or going insane or whatever. But the problem with that is you kind of have to lie to the players in order to get them into the mindset that it would work correctly. I don't I don't know that you can properly play, play like a cosmic horror game where they know it's cosmic horror walking into it. If that makes sense. Um, um, I, I think I think you can if they know what they're signing up for. Like, I have played games of Cthulhu, and I think it works. I, th I think so long as the players understand that, like, this is how Cosmic Horror goes, and they're willing to play into that. I think this is harder to do with, with, with Captain Crunches, because Captain Crunches, I think, inherently look to, ne to, you know, to never lose. Um, right, yeah, that, yeah, 100% agree. Um, and, like... I think if you have like I think if you have people who who are along for the story and they know the story isn't going to run going to end well for them, that that can be okay. Um, um, again, I don't think it's great for I, I. I think you could maybe do it in Pathfinder, but like my response to that is why would you do it in Pathfinder other than system familiarity? Mm -hmm. I'd I'd rather adopt a system that kind of has, like. Uh, like core rules built around these kinds of like fear and insanity systems, but um, you could do it. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm totally with you. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, we've got plenty of uh, uh, we've got plenty of um, time, you know, to 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 dissect uh, to dissect some of this stuff. I want to I want to actually get into the nitty gritty okay. of it um, when it comes to the first chapter, which includes, I think, the big ticket item here, which are uh, the corruptions. Um, what are what's your general? Uh, how do you feel about these corruptions? What, uh, you know, what what in, in, in all senses, I guess. I think it's a really cool idea. I think the idea of kind of like tapping into forbidden power to make you uh to make you uh like more powerful at the cost of some of your your character is really cool i think on implementation these vary wildly like i think some of these are great i think the like the, the lycanthrope one is amazing 
Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I think that's, like, a, a really good balance of things. Um, I think the Lich one is kind of really bad. Um, and I don't mean, like, necessarily, like... Like, there's, there's... You don't get a lot of benefit, which, you know, from a... You know, if you said to me, like, everybody in this game has to pick a corruption, um, and we're gonna go, like, play, like, freaking Monster Mash, then I think that, like, there are some that you can just... Like, you're just so bad that you don't pick. Um, I think if, like, these are things... Interesting. I think the I think the Lich one is actually pretty good. Um, uh, I, so, I, in a... I think it's good thematically. I don't think it's, like... Like, I, like, like I said, if, if we were to play, like, the beneficial version of this system, and, you know, and you, you were able to go and say, like, everybody pick one of these, you get some perks, and we're mostly playing this as kind of, like... The, the, the brighter side of this, as bright as you can be, I think that going to pick Lich, you only ever pick the last power, which is, like, spellcasting, um, and I don't think it's... Oh, what? Really? I think, first of all, I think uh, the specific abilities Malevolence um, and uh, Master of the Dead are both awesome. I think their drawbacks um, are too big. I uh, so, think, so, so is... I kind of agree with you. I think, you know, taking um, uh, taking that charisma drain is a little bit rough. But it's also one of those things, like, in order to cast that, you have to be manifestation level 6 anyway. So, um, I, you, I, you, I kind of, I, I, I kind of like the the push pull of I'm gonna temporarily create these undead I'm gonna get a little bit fucked up in the process but it's easy for me you know maybe I'm a, you know I can cast restoration on myself or somebody on the party can cast restoration on me right I think I think that that kind of trade off is doable at level twelve which is the first level that you would hypothetically be able to take that right um, um, like mm-hmm. uh, I I think that. I, the, the specifics about the, the, the Lich's side, I think that, like... Well, one of the things I do want to point out is that I do like is that the stains, which are the drawbacks, and the gifts are tied directly to each other. So you can't be like, I take the easy stain and the good gift. I think that's a really really smart decision on Paizo's part. Um, Wait, sorry. Can you just... What, what? So when you take a, a manifestation, you get a specific right. gift and a specific stain. right? You don't have a list of gifts... And a list of stains that you can kind of match willy nilly. You oh oh I see what you're saying. Yeah okay I agree with um, you. Um, and like I you know I I could like the thing that the the thing that I looked at when I saw Malevolence Mel- is like when you drop to zero you instantly die, and I was like that's that's you know that's not great right like that's that that's something that prevents me from taking it. Um, if I'm interested in preserving my character at all, um, and kind of on that same, uh. The, the, the same line, I think that a lot of the corruption stages are, they advance a little too fast, right? Like, uh, so I, so the other thing I think about the Lich is I think it has very good progression. I think the triggers for its corruption stages, which is failing a throw against a necromancy effect, learning how to cast a new, like a new spell or spells, um, or being exposed to 25 points of negative energy damage, or, or also it's like, if somebody casts Death Ward on you, I think, compared to some of the other ones that up here, which have you like, making saving throws every day, hell yes I'll take the fucking Lich one. Um, where I'm basic, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm pace, I'm taking, um, 
uh, saving throws every time, uh, uh, every time I level up is what that like, bo- you know, and maybe like once or twice, you know, during the level though, that's so infrequent that I think that makes it like much better. The hive infestation. Every time you have to take a fortitude, you, every time you make, um, uh, a fortitude save you progress or something like that. I was just like, what? This, this might not be hive. I might be misremembering, but like, I was just like, that's insane. Right. That you know, every fortitude save I, I I make, I have to I have to roll. That's just yeah. No, you're, you're, at, you're you're right. Um, you're you're right on that one. Like I do think that the the uh, when I first looked at it, I thought it was a little bit worse than that. But you're you're right. That's not as um, it's not as bad um as some of the other ones. But I did want to point out that some of them are bad, just kind of on like a like not necessarily bad, but like. You miss a lot of opportunity on kind of like a very base level. Like the Shadowbound is the one I, I like looking at for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you cut uh, the Shadowbound and there's also one where you get angry at people. I can't remember which which one that is. Um, and, and you're like unusually cruel. Oh, disproportionate. It's the first one, Accursed. Um, it's like the Accursed. It, I like Accursed, so we're going to go with that one. Um, it's you every time you have the opportunity to... Um, uh, when you do something really bad, you have you can be ve- you have to be very spiteful. Um, uh, hold on one second. Let me, let me just read over this real quick. When you inflict a permanent or long-lasting curse, bestow curse or engage in brutal retaliation. What constitutes brutal retaliation is up to the GM, but usually increases the proportion of acts of violence against creatures. You just will save. You also attempt a saving throw any month where you have failed to perform a number of spiteful relation- retaliations equal to or greater than your ma- manifestation levels. If you fail any of these saving throws, you must use the most severe punishment at your disposal against the next creature who wrongs you, even in a minor way. Now, I don't think those triggers are particularly bad, but what aggravates me is that when you fail them, you get to fail them twice before your character... Like, the third time you fail it, you're an NPC. And I think that, like, that so limits, like, what, like, you know, the descent of this character into madness, right? You know, he was mean Mm. to two people, and then he became an NPC. Like... Yeah. Like, I really want that to be, like, a bunch more of them. I want you to, like... I also think these DCs are way too high. For instance, I think if all of these were DC 10 plus manifestation level, we would be having a very different conversation, right? Because, um, so, for most of them, they have a phrase at the end of it that's like, um, you know, if you succeed, the DC increases by two, which I think is cool, right? I think if you are able to resist this urge to become a werewolf and, like, murder people, right, that it should be harder and harder to keep that going for months on end, right? And so, hypothetically, at the beginning, right, you know, it is DC 11, DC 12, but, like, you know, not all that far down the line, it's DC 17, 18, 19, boom, okay, progression, Corruption stage two, right? All of a sudden, it resets back to that 10. That makes a lot of sense to me, right? Where the DCs are easy enough that you're going to make them a couple of times uh, and stack that plus two. And, you know, may- look, maybe you fuck it up. Maybe you fuck it up and insta-go, right? The rolls are the rolls, right? But the, but the numbers are built uh, to-, to kind of make that progression happen. But these numbers aren't that. These numbers are the opposite. It's a DC 15 plus your manifestation level. So at level one, that's a DC 16 will save, right? Even if I'm relatively good at this, right? Let's say I'm a wizard with, you know, a wizard with a good, with a good will save of plus two, right? I have to have a wisdom... Wait, yeah, I have to have a wisdom of 18 in order to get a 50% shot at not progressing? That's incredible yeah. to me. 
you know, that's, that's, it's, and, you know, I think like, and, and the, the fact of the matter is, is you, you are, you could be making a lot of these checks before you get to a, you get much further in your regular character advancement. Um, I think they kind of like didn't scale these right, the right almost like, like, you know, if you don't get your corruption until later or whatever, um, and, and like the, 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 they also don't go up. So like, I think like a late level character has very little, little issue passing these. Um, but like an early level character has a really rough time passing these. And I think that's like, I feel like the chances to come should be like a little bit more flattened out. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's like, I don't know what the best way to, to handle that in terms of like, um, advancing the, the DCs, but like, I don't know. Um, the, the other one that really bothers me is the deep one one because it gets it, it's corruption stage two is if you're all you're um if you're already venerable um by the when you hit corruption stage two you instantly you instantly transform and lose control of your character um venerable for a hybrid deep one is 60 years old um and the fucking example per character they have on the page is a dwarf right like the your starting dwarf is normally like 300 years old already or like you know 100 something years old already so for any character that isn't like a, a short-lived race you only get two corruption stages which i think is also super dangerous for for this yeah um yep you know i also have a hard time so uh so i've been thinking about how how do i feel about implementing corruptions in games right um this is something i think i've talked about on the cast before um if not welcome to you know like speculation of games buddy would like to run at some point right uh but something that's always been at the back of my mind is i would love to run uh, a version of uh serpent skull right the it's it's the ap where you start off uh you know you start off on a shipwreck in the shackles right and you eventually find yourself you find your way into the jungles of sargava and are journeying through and you know there's this all this stuff about like snake folk or whatever and it's a pretty straightforward like you know it's a pretty straightforward kind of uh like not like Tarzani adventure but like you know indiana jonesy kind of right like if you were to if you were to make an ap based on the first 15 minutes of raiders of the lost ark right this is the ap that is, that is inspired by that kind of thing and i've always wanted to take that ap turn it on its head and make it like a hardcore mix of you know joseph conrad's heart of darkness um like apocalypse now like um uh, cannibal Holocaust, right? Like, just like really, really horror that that bad boy up, right? Um, and I've and I was trying and I was I was trying to think, but I was kind of like, would I use corruptions in order to get that horror across? And I don't really know that that's the right answer to this kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I, I could definitely see some of these later systems coming in. I think the late stage. Uh, I think the disease changes they have are very cool and very interesting. Um, I think these curses they have. I think these environments they have. Um, I think stuff like madness uh, and sanity damage. Some of these systems, the new fear system, all of these have have a lot of potential to be used in game like that but i think these corruptions are less likely to show up in something that i would think of as like you know this is me trying to make the most quintessential horror game that i kind of possibly can um which doesn't really speak to their benefit i will say something cool that i thought about with, when it comes to corruptions though is having um is having corruptions where stage three doesn't involve you 
becoming an NPC, right? Uh, but it does involve your character being effectively shunned from from all society, right? Um, and having them be a resurrection penalty, right? Like you, like if you're going to come back, you you come back with a corruption relating to how you died, right? So if you're killed, you know, if you're killed by, you know some you know some like deep one cultists or whatever you come back with the deep one corruption or if this lich you know rips your heart out or whatever you come back with a lich corruption um or if a ghoul you know eats you or eats part of you right you know i think i think that that is probably the most plausible way i think of seeing uh these corruptions enter one of my games i think it's actually a really cool way to do it um that's actually that's actually really cool. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> I'm glad that. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that you approve. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the only thing that, the only thing, like I want I do want to say that I think that a lot of these abilities are are kind of cool, um, and that like a lot of them have like the like. This so the, the way that these corruptions kind of spoke to me was that like, having, like. I don't think this system was designed for, for the most part, for, like, everybody to have, like, a, like for you to jump into a game and, like, you've got a monster match and everybody has different corruptions. I feel like these work better when, like, a lot of people have, like, the same corrupt, like, you know, if everybody's a vampire. Um, or, like, um, if, like, just because I don't think they're very balanced particularly well against each other. Um, or if they're like kind of, oh, man. kind of like that a is subset. Really hardcore, interesting. Also, also, I think some of them uh, don't lend themselves to being in a party together, yes. right? The the deep one is kind of the best example of this, right? But I don't think like the deep one meshes uh, super well with you know like Hellbound, for yeah. instance. Right? Like I also don't think um, that Hive meshes well with with any of them. But I th I also think that these have the potential to be good for like a single character. Right, like if you wanted to tell me that, like, say, Bloodied Quill, um, has a hellbound corruption, right, and that's kind of like his struggle, I think that that works. I don't know if anybody else in Hell's Rebels, uh, needs to have a corruption in order for that to work well, right? Like if somebody came up to me in Wrath of the Righteous and was like, "I want to," you know, I'm so mad about demons that I want to take a curse as a corruption. I think he'd be okay with it, but I think if the entire party was like, and we all want, I want to be a deep one, and I want to be a hive one, like, I think that maybe that's the, like, not the right direction for this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think part of it also kind of comes into the fact that, um, so I think part of something that has to be taken into account when it comes to horror is that the, the, the kind of threshold for death needs to be a lot lower. Oh, excuse me. Uh, needs to be a lot lower. Um, I think that death needs to be... Um, first of all, it kind of can't be trivialized, right? Like, dying and coming back isn't something that can happen all that much. And I think people in the party need to die in order to make horror, like, really work uh, in, the, in that kind of situation. Um... And you know, because like I, you know, the slasher needs to kill people, right. right? And I and I just don't think that the slasher, you know, in in a game like Hell's Rebels, where I use a slasher subplot in order to 
in order to kind of move the you know move the story along in one direction or another and some of your npcs die i think that works really well because hell's rebels a you know a lot of hell's rebels is pokemon right it's going around collecting these npcs because they're going to be useful for you later right because you can you know you can call upon them to help out the rebellion and and do and do what it is so losing an npc ariandis ariandis dying um is that's a that's a real loss that's something you want you want to prevent because she you know she offers something uh something to you so i think a slasher that kills npcs works in the context of that game right but in a horror game i don't think that that works right i i think that um I think that you have to go after the PCs directly in order to make it, uh, in order to really make it work. Otherwise, everything will just kind of feel like, you know, it's part of this, like, the like PCs have this plot armor and it's part of this bubble, right? Um, for that matter, honestly, I think a lot of encounters, you know, right now I think most encounters in most D&D games are, you know... Bring everybody to zero HP, kill them effectively, and and move to the next to the next bit. I think most encounters in horror games should eschew that version, right? I think maybe you move to like fifty percent of the time it's that, but fifty percent of the time it's you know running away from this guy as 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 uh, effectively as possible, tanking this thing, right? You know, t tanking tanking the bad guy for long enough that you can you know, make your, that you can make your escape. Oh God, please let me live these three rounds, right? So that, so that we can get the hell out of here, right? You know, so, and, and I, and I think that all of this stuff doesn't, you know, that stuff just doesn't interact with corruptions. Um, I think that, you know, these, these are some of the, the most kind of skeletal baseline uh, building blocks to what makes a good horror game. Um, and the corruptions to me really don't interact with that kind of, with that kind of skeleton, right? I think that they are, they are very much kind of like window dressing. And I think a lot of, uh, honestly, a lot of horror games, uh, can exist without, uh, without the corruptions being a part of it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I agree entirely. Um, I do think if you want to do certain, like I, th like, I do think if you want to play a vampire or if you want to play a werewolf, I think that the corruptions are great for that kind of option. You know, whether that's in a horror game or not, or like, you know, what the tone of that game, like, you know, maybe a light horror type game. Um, I think these do provide a good set of drawbacks for getting that kind of power out of it. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think it's... This I also think the power is very non-linear. I appreciate that a lot of the time, you know, they could have made it something easy like, oh, you get a, you know... Uh, I, I guess the 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 where the lycanthropy corruption has some of this, but most of them don't. Where it's like you get a plus two to strength on attack and damage rolls, and I can totally see somebody, you know, uh, uh, kind of min max right. that, right? Um, but uh, a lot of the times, you know, it'll give you like natural attacks, right? Or it might give you like you know like an aura, like a stench aura, something like that. And a lot of the times, um, I think that that stuff is, uh, I think that stuff is uh, the right way to go about it. You know, at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and I, it's it's funny because I, I think to kind of kind of summarize it, like this section is the section for like not like this section is a section that. That, that most applies to not horror games, I guess, right? Like, I think these concepts are really cool, but I don't think, like, like as you said, I think that they, they don't really apply as much to an actual horror game, um, which is weird because it's kind of like the, the the front the front face of of the 
of the horror advent uh, of the horror adventures book. This is kind of like the big feature. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, honestly, I uh, I feel that. Yeah, I also think some of them are just a little bit too specific. Like, Hive is like, like you have to have a game about the Hive in order for the Hive corruption to really make any sense. I think. Uh you know, so I do agree with you there. Um, but I think the Hive corruption. I think certain of these corruptions are very cool in a in a. Um, kind of scenario of uh i want to you know honestly to be honest this kind of contradicts my earlier point uh now that i kind of put these two thoughts together i think there's something to be said for using these corruptions as a very slow way of killing a player um i think that that kind of like you know um struggle you know i like the idea of playing a horror game where the big bad is a vampire and in the first encounter with it right you just need to tank it for a couple of rounds before you can kind of like get the cavalry to arrive you know before the sun arc arcs over the hill and the vampire has to retreat right uh, i think that that situation um man i'm really kind of bringing myself around to these fucking corruptions i think that situation the person who tanked those three rounds, right? Now he have he has the vampirism corruption and he has to and it's like, look, you're gonna fucking die, right, if you don't figure out a way to get rid of it. And that's like a mini arc almost for him. Um I think that's actually kind of compelling. Uh, the you know honestly, I, I it sucks. I think that's compelling, but I also think the rules are like the opposite of allowing that to happen because it suggests that you give these people corruptions at level one, and then they get manifestation levels for every two levels that they have with the corruption. But what I'm suggesting, which I think is the best implementation that you can have of the corruption, is a very short-lived thing, right? It's putting your PC on a timer and saying cure this or die, right? He's not ever going to see the vast majority of the of these corruption mechanics because you know that timer is going to preclude him from leveling up twice, right? In my game, that's eight sessions, kind of thing. Um, man, God, you know, you almost had me corruptions, and then you lost me, right? In the yeah, I, I also I also <laughs> think that that works out too because like that's one guy, like you know, that's one way to kill one player, right? Like I think that loses a lot of meaning if like you know. You go into the fight, and there's a vampire, and a werewolf, and a deep one, and all three of your party members all get different corruptions. Like, oh, join Jakey's, guys. We gotta get rid of these corruptions. Um, like, I think it's very meaningful when it happens to one player. I think it gets kind of old when it happens to all of them. Um, yeah, exactly. To be honest, I uh, to be honest, I have to say, and this is tangential, but I feel the same way when it comes to artifacts a little bit. Um <coughs> Uh, you know, I'm going to do a throwback. If you remember a long, 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 long time ago, like a year and a half ago at this point, because this was before Hell's Rebels, when I was building out Hell's Rebels, I knew about, you know, I've known about the Dreamweaver this whole time, and I kind of floated this idea in, you know, one of our chats where I was like, I think everyone having an art, you know, I think everyone having an artifact uh, kind of, you know, kind of like ruins the specialness of like one person having this kind of like, you know, having this one thing and i kind of like the idea of the you know the whole party um 
has to contend with one specific artifact. I was directly referring to the Dreamweaver there, um, and I wanted to, uh, uh, and uh, I and when I was doing these bonus feats, I knew I wanted everybody to have kind of like an equal power level, but I knew I didn't want to just like give each individual person an artifact um, because something that I think that's happened, and this isn't a you know I'm not trying to criticize Mark here, obviously. Um, but I think something that's happened in Rune Lords is because everyone has an artifact, it's kind of not all that special yeah. anymore, right? It doesn't feel very um I think mechanically they're interesting and they're very kind of uh well well tailored, but there's there's kind of not enough like space in the party in order to make um us finding there's not enough space in the party in order to like have us be focusing on artifacts um because one our artifacts tend not to tie into our own personal plot lines um and two uh there's each of us has our own individual one so i have no i have no impetus to care for your artifact because i'm already working on my own also i think kind of on that line too like they're all they're almost all very passive bonuses as well right like i think my staff that turns into a Treon is more iconic than my cloak, and the cloak's the artifact. Um, you know, that's 100% correct. I certainly agree with you. Um, I, I, we, I think we, we have done a whole podcast on, on, on yeah. <laughs> individual progression. Um, that's certainly true. Um, but uh, I, I, think there's, I, I think there's some stuff to, to, yet to explore in, in that kind of vein. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I could see, like part of the thing to bring it back to these things is, um, I could see like a real character storyline, which is kind of like, I embrace this dark power because this is the only way for us to, to guarantee that we succeed. Um, but again, like, you know, if everyone's an edgelord and doing that, like it's not. Great. Although I do think that there are situations where everybody having the same corruption can make a lot of thematic sense. Like, um, like I, I don't know if there's one that's quite like this in, in the book. I can't remember. But, like, I'm thinking of, like, a Curse of the Black Pearl type type curse where everyone's spooky skeletons. Um, mm. I think that could actually work pretty well. It's like, you know, like, we need to purge ourselves um, of... Like, that's kind of, like, the objective of the campaign, or at least the arc, is, like, we all, we're all ghouls, and we need to keep ourselves from being ghouls for the next, um, you know, for for the next, you know, six sessions until we can solve our ghoulness. Um, but, like, you know, as you said, that means we all get one manifestation, and that's it. Um, man, you know, honestly, now that you've kind of mentioned it, I think... See, I actually think now that you now that I that you mentioned it, there is kind of something to like willingly accepting. Like, like for instance, I actually kind of think it would be cool if you know there was a game where you know people needed to go. Like, like let's say you know, like you know, in a skulls and shackles game, right? 
um, you know, you need to go invest. You need to go investigate these Aslanti ruins, and the only way that you're going to blend in, kind of like yeah, if you've ever seen like The Walking Dead or like read The Walking Dead, the way that you blend in with the with the um, with the zombies is you cover yourself in zombie stuff, right? You know, you, we can't just we can't just like cast water breathing on ourselves or drink potions of water breathing and go down to these like crazy Aslanti ruins, right? Um, we have to accept a deep one corruption in order to make ourselves kind of blind to that right and now and now all of a sudden we have to you know you know maybe like maybe this plays out for like a book right um we're we have to go underwater we have the one that's like oh you know we can you know survive safely at any ocean depth or whatever it is um but like the corruption is also kind of uh like like wreaking havoc on us and so we have to solve the big problem with with the cult you know in a certain time frame such that people don't get completely overtaken by the deep oneness i think you can flavor that in a bunch of different ways right you can flavor that with vampirism pretty easily yeah. even with stuff like hive and lich um um and i think that's a pretty that's a pretty solid use of corruptions i would endorse in a game um, but but again, I think like that's the thing. Like I think because of the, the way these save scale, like maybe the right way to do this is you give players like three manifestations and be, with the expectation that they're not really going to gain another one. Um, that way you can kind of like fully use the system without like limit. That's kind of true. Um, yeah. Like maybe you would say, okay, all of you have. No, I want to just take a look at it. Right, like all of you have deep adaptation, and maybe all of you have. Uh, uh, loathsome gills, right? Which allows you to breathe underwater and survive at any ocean depth, right? Um, and then you get to, like, pick two others yeah. as necessary. So, like, you know, your fighter can take Claws of the Deep, but your, I don't know, caster can take fucking something the else. The bulbous one or um, something. Yeah, you right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I think I think there's I think that 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 you know that 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 tax to me. Uh, that works. I think part of that too, though, is like, you know, you know, we have like the minute you said we in order to investigate these ruins, we have to accept the deep one corruption. In my mind, if you're doing that, like, you have to have a damn good reason to do it, right? So I think I think a lot of what kind of misses like the boat on kind of like you know like you know accepting accepting terrible power um for terrible co like you know like like the hellbound right and your contract comes due type thing um is mm. that like a lot of this kind of like fantasy around like accepting terrible power is that like the consequences of that are like far off in the future right like well, you know like you know like hellbound contract you have a lot of power now and when you die which will probably be in a while right like then you 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 have to pay with your soul and i think that that works because um because you know you could see a person who says like i will trade 60 years of power for um for you know my eternal soul right i think it's very hard to convince like a character to will like you know i think it's very hard to convince in a, like in like a horror setting or like in a non um, you said Skull and Shackles, so the you know, Skull and Shackles are kind of morally ambiguous pirates, right? Like, I think it's very hard to convince those people to to accept a corruption when it's like in three weeks you might be dead, right? Like, yeah, well, yep. I, I, I like. I think you. that that plays out well if it's like, well, you know, my daughter is dying and the Aslanti have the the cure for her, and I'm willing to risk my life to try and save her. I think that can be like a compelling type of story. Um, 
And but like that's a heroic story. That's not a horror story. Um, I I think for the most part, and maybe you could flavor that flavor that as a horror story. Um, but I think it works better as a heroic story, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think I do. Uh, you know, I think I do. At the end of it, kind of have to. Uh, I kind of have to agree on you. You know, I we, we've. I walked into this not thinking the corruptions were all that useful. I thought I was onto something with my idea that, you know, um, when you die, you accept a corruption and you come back on the same character. Um, I think, I that, think that's got legs. You know, that, that, I, yeah, exactly. I think that's got legs. But I think a lot of this stuff, we, we've kind of figured out ways that I think corruptions can be used. Uh, if you modify the system, I think I, I don't think there's a way, I don't think there's a reason that I would take the corruption system as written for most situations. So I, I, I um, this is this, this is very anti-mango, but I think there's a way to kind of fix this system, and it's like heavy GM fiat. It's every time they make a corruption, uh, uh, you know, uh, a corruption stage save, you roll it in secret and you fudge it in the right way. Like I, I think that's just kind of like the way you, 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 you like and i hate that answer but i think that that's it. <laughs> i mean that, that answer is is you know roll up that contract and yeah. fuck it like you know like <laughs> it's um, funny yeah i mean i don't know see cuz also you know another part of me thinks um for instance, you know, this is something that i think about when i talk about that kind of heart of darkness game um where i think you know i, I to me the characters that enter that game are not the characters that yeah. exit that game, right? Odds are your your level one, you know, whoever you are is gonna die, right? He's gonna be eaten by cannibals, right? He's going to drown in the river, right? He's gonna be, you know, maybe, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different ways that that goes, but I imagine that the party that defeats this is going to be comprised of different PCs uh, than the party kind of along the way. So, and so... That that kind of you know I I think that kind like I said I think that death is very uh, uh, necessary when it comes to uh, when it comes to horror games but I think the the downside there and I'm sure you're about to say this is that then you are like for you're like drop kicking players out of committing to characters because the expectation kind of is that they're going to end up dying no, so that's kind of not exactly what I'm thinking of I think the problem there is that be because like. Like, I think there's no problem with expecting that, like, you can have the right mindset and expect that your characters are going to die, but it's when it's with this corruption system, it's like you kind of, like, have this, like, almost silly aspect. It's like, and then the new character comes along, and he has a corruption, right? And it's like, how many people have corruptions, and why are they all, like, stumbling into this party? Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of weirdly clown car-ish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah. i think i agree with you uh that is that is a little bit clown I, I think kind of going back to your to your one of your older points where like you know you know maybe that's how you kill the tank in the first vampire you know post the first vampire encounter right like that's the way he dies i think that works the next guy who comes back doesn't necessarily have a corruption but using the corruptions as potential tools for killing your players in a horror game i think works but i don't think that like yeah. Like, 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 kind of relying on their always, like everybody having a corruption and putting them on a timer, works. Um, I so I don't think I don't think it works you in know, general I, case, know. but I think it could work for something like you know, uh, like I think I think like the ghouls, right? Like you know, you're like a traveling band of like say like like you're you're a migratory people, 
and you've got like a caravan and then one day the entire fucking camp gets infected with the ghoul corruption and like as your heroes fall people you know other members of this community come and step up and it's like as many people as you can save i think you could tell a compelling story like that um, but I think that's also like a very tailored and specific situation. I don't think that's a very general situation, which is what I think this book aims yeah. to hit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. The one thing that we haven't actually addressed, uh, but that I do think is worth talking about uh, as we kind of close up, is uh, is the, the, the end result of these corruptions being to turn them into NPCs. How do you feel about that, that system uh, in general? <sighs> um, so... Not good. <laughs> no, no. So I think... I think it's... I think it's a kind of, like, a cool... So I, I think it's it's a cool idea, but it's also, like, one of those things where it's, like, you know... You know, Baron, the high fighter, has succumbed to his vampirism and is, kind of, and is now just kind of, like, this, this mindless thrall running around and like you know or like he, he's fallen too far and he's corrupted now um it puts you in this weird place where like you know he kind of either exits the story and he dies which i think is fine like he has to he has to like completely exit the story with us through death or like running off into the woods and you never seeing again him again but like if there's like a redemption like I think one of the natural things to do with this is do a redemption arc, right? Do a redemption arc while he's out of the player's control, right? Like, um, you know, have everybody else work towards trying to save him in, like, a very kind of, like, a classic story way, right? Like, the hero falls, and then his comrades try and pick him back up. But then you put the player that played that character in the weird position of when you redeem him, like, now he's got two characters. That or he doesn't play a character for, like, a month, which is not a, a good solution either, um, yeah. Like, like, I, jeez, th- that is just not a, yeah, there's not a good answer um, to that. Like, I think all. there's a couple good, like, I think that the possessed corruption actually, <laughs> I think it's actually really good because when you succumb, you become like you, be- your body becomes possessed by the thing that's possessed, but it's got the corruption of being possessed by you. And so I think that actually works really well. Like, I think over the course of a campaign, mm-hmm like flip-flopping between two characters is actually a really interesting character concept. Like, I think that could be really cool. Um, but I don't see that for most of the corruptions. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Uh, I think that for the, for most of the corruptions that doesn't necessarily kind of follow in the way that you might want it to, I guess. Yeah. Like, like the hive, you um, turn into insects. Well, that's that. <laughs> yeah, like, what do you do? You, you, oh, you have to go get each one of these, you know, 30,000 bugs, put them together, like, mash them up in, into, like, a, you know, like a bug smoothie, and maybe you can resurrect the corpse out of that. And right? that's like, how we bring back uh, Marion Rin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I have, uh, you know, we really only talked about the corruptions, but um, I think... Uh, I think we we've come we've come back to Pathfinder hardbacks in the in in past episodes. I think that uh, we'll we'll obviously uh, be coming back to horror adventures. Uh, so uh, I'm not I'm not all that mad about leaving this at a at a part one. Um, 
do you uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we close out? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I, the only other things I would want to say are like if you have opinions on corruptions, you can email us at somederpsplaygames at gmail You can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. Everything will be in the description. Rate, like, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, comment. We will read them. Email us. We will read them. We want your we want your love. Please give it to us. Um, <laughs> anything else you wanted to say, buddy? Nope, I'm good. All right, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, uh, loyal listeners. <laughs>